Good morning, Risen Hope. Um, it is good to be with you today. I, I know that this is kind of dragging on, um, and it's getting uh, a little uh, difficult and challenging for some of us. Uh, I'm grateful uh, that we even have this ability, the means by which we can still gather together. So I pray that you are with me in the spirit. Let's pray real quick and ask God to help uh, with the word today as we open it up. Heavenly Father, um, I am only a man, and I stand before this book uh, completely overwhelmed by the glory that's inside of it. And it is hard for me to communicate even in 30, 40 minutes on a given Sunday what I see here in the course of a week. <clears throat> but I'm asking you, Father God, that you would come and that you would help bridge this infinite divide between my inability and the, the glory of this text and that you'd help all of us, myself included, and all of my friends who can hear my voice, um, be free of distractions, be free of anything that would cause us to not hear and receive your word, and that you'd grant us, Father God, um, in, in, in the presence of your spirit, a clarity of understanding about what this passage is, and that it would penetrate the very depths of our souls, that we would be changed by it. I'm asking the impossible but I, I know the one I'm asking, and so I ask it with confidence. Do this thing, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So John 7 tells us that on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John says, after Jesus speaks, now this he said, Jesus said, about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John 7, this passage we just read, and really the entire book of John, and, and if, if we wanted to spread uh, our arms around all of it, we could say the entire Bible tell us that to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a Christian, is like being thirsty and coming to Jesus for a drink. That's the essence of Christianity, drinking from a fountain we call Jesus Christ, which is exactly what Jesus is depicting here when he says, if anyone thirst, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. And when that happens, when someone comes to Christ, when he or she believes in Christ, a Christian is brought into existence. And John, the author here, says that this happens because Jesus, after he's glorified, is going to give the Spirit. He's going to give the Spirit to those who are thirsty and those who, who come to Him longing for drink. And so as we continue our journey through the beginning of the book of John, I just want to ask you a question right at the start of our time today. And the, the question is really simple. It's this, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Do you thirst for Jesus? Do you, do you come to Christ whether it's on a Sunday or a normal weekday or whatever it might be, do you come to him thirsty for him? Because 
at the essence of what it means to be who we are as Christians, at, at the center of what it means to be a Christian, there is a thirst that can only be satisfied by one reality in the universe. And that reality has a name. It's Jesus Christ. And by drinking from the infinitely glorious well, the fountain of all that he is, there is a kind of joy that will never fail you. There's a kind of satisfaction that will not leave you wanting. And this is exactly what Jesus is referring to in John 7 when he talks about this thirst. And this reality, this truth that we're looking at today is what comes into view as we turn again to the the beginning of the book of John where we're looking at John the Baptist's testimony in the first chapter. And so if you have your Bibles, and, and I hope that you do, please take them. Turn with me to John 1 verse 29. John 1, 29, we're going to read through verse 30, uh, read from 29 through verse 35. The passage says, The next day he, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, But for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So as you know, I mean, we've been working our way for the last few weeks and early in January as well through the the narrative of John's gospel. And we've been looking in particular at the testimony of John the Baptist, who is this man who was sent by God to declare the advent, the arrival of the Christ, the Messiah. And in this passage, uh, we looked at last week, John sees Jesus approaching him, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is a, a clear reference to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is a reference to Jesus as the Lamb of God who on the cross will take away the sin of the world through the, the sacrificial offering of his life. <clears throat> but this week, we're going to look at the second part of this passage Um, which tells us not just that John knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but it tells us how he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. How was it that John, looking at Jesus, could say, that man is the Christ? Like, what was the evidence that caused him to say, this man really is the Messiah? And the answer to that question takes us really to the heart of Christianity. Um, It takes us to this thirst that we had talked about at the beginning, that every human being who has ever lived, doesn't matter where they lived or when they lived, every human being has felt this thirst, whether they admit it or not. This desire inside of them to be happy, to be glad, to, to be content and satisfied. It is a, a thirst that is universal across all humanity. And this is what John the Baptist is showing us today in this 
passage. And so he begins in verse 31 and verse 33 with laying it out there that I myself, he says, did not know him. I didn't know who the Messiah was. And the reason he says this um, is, we'll see, it wasn't that he didn't know about Jesus, but rather he didn't know that Jesus was the Christ, which was the entire purpose of his ministry. In verse 31, he says, for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he, the Christ, the Savior, might be revealed to Israel. So this is why God sent John. God sent John to gather all of his people to him and to call them to repentance through this baptism of the water. And in doing that, in calling them to repentance and and, and to confess their sins, he was preparing them for the arrival of the Messiah. And John's baptism of water signals this arrival. And John says, the Messiah here is Jesus. He tells us in verse 32 and 33 how it is he knew this. He didn't just guess this. He knew this because he says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And this was the sign that God had given him when he sent John the Baptist This is how you'll know who the Christ is. You're going to see this, which is why John ends this testimony in verse 35 with this profound statement about Jesus. He says, I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. In other words, Jesus is the one that I came to reveal. Now, the event that that John is describing here in this passage actually took place, you can tell by the tense, earlier. It took place before this depiction. And it was the scene that you've seen from the other Gospels of Jesus being baptized by John. Um, For example, here, here it is in Matthew 3, starting with verse 13. Verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. So, Matthew tells us that Jesus came to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And John here initially attempts to prevent Jesus from being baptized, which tells us a few things, a few interesting things. First, it tells us John did know something about Jesus. He knew something about Jesus. He he knew enough about him to try to prevent his baptism Um, Now, he says in verse 31 and 33 of John 1 that he didn't know he was the Messiah yet, but whatever he did know about Jesus, whether it was through his own interactions with Jesus or whether it was through his family, we know they were biologically related, or, or whether it was just hearing about Jesus from others, John knew that Jesus was not a man who needed to be baptized. He was not a man who needed to repent of anything. In fact, he knew enough about Jesus to say, you should be baptizing me. You're the one, you come to me, you should be baptizing me. And so this is a critical note for us to see here. John the Baptist, 
though he was given this profound ministry, though he was given this gift from God to declare the coming Savior, he was still, just like us, a sinner in need of repentance. John the Baptist struggled with the reality we've been talking about, this thirst, just like we do. But somehow, John knew that this fact, when he saw Jesus, this fact wasn't true about him. And this is why he tried to prevent his baptism. Now, notice how Jesus responds to him. Jesus doesn't mention being the Christ at all. doesn't mention being the Messiah. He says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, you're right. I don't need to be baptized by you for anything I've done. Nevertheless, let me be baptized that I might fulfill all righteousness. That's what he's saying here. So in desiring to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus humbly submits to the baptism that John is presenting in his ministry. And instead of being forgiven of his sins because he has none, something incredible happens. It says that the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descends like a dove coming to rest on Jesus. And then there's a voice from heaven that's heard which says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So God uses this moment of Jesus humbling himself in the baptism that John was, was declaring in order to declare himself that Jesus was not just another human being. He wasn't just a normal man. Jesus, in fact, was the son of the living God, and he was God's beloved son in whom he was well pleased. And so you can now see why John the Baptist, back in John 1, responds to this event by saying, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the son of God. It is an extraordinary event. And, and just think about how it's described here. Um, it says the Spirit comes down in, in the manner of, of a dove. And the dove for the Hebrew people was a, a clean animal. It was a bird, obviously, a clean animal that, that, um, that represented humility and lowliness. And this is the, the dove-like appearance of the Scripture. It comes to rest, and, and John says that it remains on Jesus. It didn't just come to rest on him and then dissipate or come to rest on him and then leave. The, the, the appearance of the Spirit in the dove form comes and rests on Jesus and does not leave him, remains with him. So note this, when Jesus participates in John's baptism, the response of God is not forgiveness of sins because Jesus has no sin. The response of God here is an affirmation publicly, visibly, with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He puts his spirit on Jesus. And for those who were watching this, who knew their Hebrew Bible, they recognized what this was. This did not come out of thin air. This was the long-awaited fulfillment of a numerous, number, a numerous amount of prophecies attached specifically to the Messiah who was to come. And there are many examples of this. I'm going to give you one in Isaiah 11. You'll probably know, know this one. Uh, it's familiar. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So this event wasn't out of nowhere. 
The one on whom the Spirit of God would come to rest and remain was the Messiah, the Son of God. And John is saying in this scene, in the first chapter of the book of John, that man is none other than Jesus. But he goes even further than that because Jesus isn't just the one on whom the Spirit remains. He is also the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit, which is a big deal. It's a big deal for John. It's a big deal for everyone. This is a huge distinction between uh, the ministry of John the Baptist, which was the baptism of water, and the ministry of Jesus, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One is a physical baptism in the Jordan, but the other is a baptism with God himself. Let's just soak that in for a moment because I think we pass by this concept very lightly and we need to sit in it for a moment. The Holy Spirit is not just some kind of feeling that you have when you're worshiping. The Holy Spirit is not just an energy field that is surrounding God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. Which means that For John to say, Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit, he is telling us that Jesus is going to baptize us with God himself. And this too is not a new concept. There were many prophecies about this very same thing, about God pouring his spirit on his children, not just on a handful of people, which he had done throughout the Old Testament, but on every single one of his people. And we see this in Joel and Ezekiel. We see it here in Isaiah. Let me read you Isaiah, 40, Isaiah 44, 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. Isaiah 44, 3 says, for I, will pour out, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. So this right here is a promise from God that John the Baptist is, is pointing to, saying Jesus is alone going to fulfill this promise. Jesus is the one that this is for. I baptize with water, but this man, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And notice the connection. Again, John's baptism is physical water, but the Holy Spirit, in, in, in not only in the experience of baptism, but even in this prophecy in Isaiah 44, is depicted as water poured onto thirsty and dry ground, water poured onto a parched earth. That's how it's described here. Um, that's how he is described here. John the Baptist is saying that Jesus is going to pour out God himself onto his people like one would pour water onto dry, parched land. And this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is central to Christianity, and it's rooted in the same question that we've been asking this, this, this whole morning, which is, are you thirsty? Do, do, do you recognize that, that your life, our lives, absent from the presence of God, are dry and barren? They are a wilderness in desperate need of water. And that water that we need is the spirit of the living God. The root of the Christian experience, even like the crucible in which the Christian is forged, isn't first theological positions. It isn't first a set of rules. 
It isn't even first like a framework for worship. The, 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 the center, the root of the Christian experience, because every other religion has those. Like every other religion has that format. What the other religions don't have is a solution to this thirst. That's what they don't have. And at the center of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, John the Baptist is telling us that Jesus alone is the one that we were made to drink from. He is the, alone the one that can provide us the satisfaction we need. And as we read in, in John 7, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is, which is what all of this is pointing to, is only given after he's been glorified, which tells us that he had to die and rise from the dead to give us this gift. For example, in Acts 1 verse 4, after he had died and after he had risen from the dead, he comes to talk to his disciples and says, and while staying with them, he, Jesus, after he'd risen, ordered them, his disciples, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus instructs his disciples to stay in Jerusalem, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which he calls here the promise of the Father. We know it's a promise because we've seen it in the Old Testament. This was the promise of God the Father. And this event that he's referring to that's going to happen not many days from now is, of course, the day of Pentecost, which is Acts 2. It's this radical scene where the disciples are all gathered together and the Holy Spirit comes. There's the sound of mighty rushing wind, the tongues of fire, and the disciples are speaking different languages so that every person in Jerusalem, no matter where they were on the, from on the globe, could hear and understand what they were saying. And uh, it says here that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit that John spoke of years before this is this event. It's the birth of the church. It's when the church came into existence. It's when Christianity started. And I mean, to be honest, this is why we're here. This is why we exist. This is why there's a church in Kingsgate called Risen Hope is because Jesus did exactly what John the Baptist said he would do 2,000 years ago. He sent the promise of the Father and poured it out on his people. And he baptized them with the Holy Spirit. And then the church literally burst into existence, um, as did many other glorious realities of the Christian life. And let me just touch on them really briefly. From boldness in evangelism and witnessing all the way through to spiritual gifts that edify and encourage the body. All of those are incredibly important. In fact, JT, <clears throat> a few weeks back, looked at some of those specifically um, in the promises that Jesus made to his body. And they are all incredibly uh, important for us to understand. But we have to recognize the difference between the effects of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the actual baptism those are effects and results of what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. However, I want today, during the rest of our time here, to look at what it means to be baptized by the Holy, or with the Holy Spirit. What is the human experience like for Jesus to pour out the Spirit of the living God on his people, on our souls like water onto dry land? Paul, in Ephesians 5, commands Christians 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's clear that he's not referring to a a single experience, one-time event. He's talking about a lifetime of pursuing Christ to quench every thirst that you have in your life. And so how do we obey Paul? Like when he tells us to do that, how do we as Christians and, and followers of Jesus Christ be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I think we turn back to John 7 and look what Jesus is saying here. John 7, verse 37 and 39, if you want to turn there. Um, and this is the passage I read earlier. And it tells us exactly how we should view the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The passage shows us an event that takes place well into Jesus' ministry. It's during a celebration that was called the, the Feast of Booths. And it was a, a Jewish feast that recalled their journey, the, the Hebrew people's journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. And <clears throat> During this journey, you know, 40 long years, and in those 40 long years, they were traveling across a very dry and a very barren wilderness. It was a place that was bereft of water. In fact, God had to miraculously make water in this place because there was none to be seen. It was a desert. And this feast that they're celebrating is the context in which Jesus speaks in John 7. So let me read this, starting with verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. John says, Now this Jesus said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And the giving of the Spirit here is precisely what John the Baptist is talking about in John 1. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says here, if anyone thirst, let him come to me. This is the call of Christ. John tells us that, that Jesus is issuing an invitation to drink from him, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The essence of the Christian experience is this. It's coming to Jesus, who is the fountain of living water, and drinking freely from that fountain. And the reason that John the Baptist highlights this, like right at the first millisecond of Jesus' ministry, the reason why John the Baptist highlights this is because John knows that this is the single greatest need of the human soul. He knows this. There is not another need that a person has that is greater than this. The human heart is desperately thirsty. Whether we recognize it or not, it is. And we spend all of our time trying to fill it with things that, that to be honest, will never ever quench that thirst. They will never do that. We pursue ultimate satisfaction in things that are fleeting and temporary, and that are gone tomorrow, and we need something else to to get our fix. John is saying here that Jesus Christ, receiving him and embracing him in faith, is the only way that that thirst can be quenched. It's the only way that that thirst can be met, which is why Paul in Ephesians 5 commands the Christian, invites the Christian, tells the Christian, you need to do this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that statement, that line is, is actually the exact same language used in Acts 2, except 
It is the present imperative, which means that we are called not just to take a cup of water from Christ, but we are called to repeatedly come back to this fountain and drink and drink and drink every single day of our lives. This is who we are. We come to the fountain of living water. John 7 tells us that when we come to Christ, not only do we get our own thirst quenched, but when we come to Christ, in addition to the eradication of our thirst because of the fullness of who he is, our own hearts now become conduits for his living water. It says, our, out of our own hearts will come rivers of living water. When we come to Christ thirsty, we don't just live or leave filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, out of our hearts are rivers coursing with living water, inviting everyone around us into the experience of drinking of him. That, that's what's being referred to here in John 7. So here's the question again. It is the most basic question in the world, yet it's at the center of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Do you, do you long to know satisfaction? Do you long to know contentment, like real contentment? Think about this. Jesus isn't just baptizing us with some extra energy or power or gifting. That's not the essence of what this is. Jesus is baptizing us with God himself, who is the Holy Spirit. He's calling us to be immersed in God by coming to Christ thirsty, by longing for Jesus and pursuing him for who he really is, not as, as a man, not as a good teacher, but as the Son of God who alone can quench every thirst. This is the promise of the Father. This is what John the Baptist was talking about. And it is only ours because Jesus was glorified. That's what John 7 says, which means that in order for the Spirit to be given to us, Christ had to die and then rise from the dead. He had to go to the Father. So Hebrews 1 tells us he ascended to the right hand of the Father after making a purification for sins. There was no Holy Spirit that was going to be given to us without that event. His death was the cost of that gift. Now remember Jesus' baptism earlier when he was anointed by the Father with the Holy Spirit. There was nothing outside of him that, that was needed to make that happen. <laughs> Jesus was beloved by the Father. He thought the Father was pleased in his perfect, beautiful, wonderful Son. But for you and I, if I can just be real with you, for you and I, for people who have plunged ourselves into the most parched wilderness, searching for a thousand things, clinging to them, even though they can never satisfy us, for us to have this gift of the Holy Spirit demanded the death of Jesus. That was the only way that it could be purchased. That was the only way that it could be secured for us. And so the question we have to ask all of our, uh, our, ourselves today is, is very simple especially in this present season when it is so easy to downshift into a life filled with things that will leave us empty. The question we have to ask is, are you thirsty for Jesus? Like, do you long for Jesus? This is the question that he's asking right now. When we see the word baptism of the Holy Spirit, we know that this is the question he's asking. Do we desire what was purchased for us by the blood of Christ? 
Do we long to be immersed in God himself and to experience a joy that, that leaves us satisfied at the depths of our soul? There's nothing like this. I mean, this is the purpose of the Christian. It is, it is to glorify and magnify Christ by coming to him as the all-satisfying water, living water that he really is. There is nothing in this universe like Jesus. And so I would just invite you this morning, as we partake in communion during this next song, in, in the context of your apartment or your home with your family or on your own, wherever you are, as you partake in communion, come to Jesus, come to the elements, thirsty for Jesus. Plead with him to pour out God, the spirit of the living God, onto you, that, that he would make good on the promise of the Father by the blood that he purchased this promise with. And ask him, because I know we all struggle with this, to quench every single thirst in your life right now and to fill up the reservoirs of our soul to such a degree that, that out of our hearts would surge rivers of living water and that our joy by, by tasting the glory of, of Christ and receiving him as our all-satisfying drink, that when that happens, we would be a light in this world, especially in this world right now. Where, where our world and its hopes are so frail that we would be a beacon of hope because we have a living water that actually does satisfy. Let's pray. There's no hope. Heavenly Father, what an awesome reality. We can barely even begin to understand. I mean, even in my own life, I think about just being unworthy of, of, of this, of any kindness from you. But you are merciful and loving and gracious and you love us even in our brokenness and you look down at the dry, parched souls that we've tried to, to water with broken cisterns and you say, I will pour out my spirit on that land. I will, I, will, I will water that so that out of that land comes a fountain, a river of living water. I pray that you would look on each one of your people within the, the earshot of my voice right now, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us, Jesus, that, that the promise of the Father would be made good on in um, our lives this week and not just today, but this week and this month and in the season to come. And I pray that you give us all hearts like David in Psalm 63 when he said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Father, help us to have that desire and to come to Jesus knowing that he alone can satisfy, Father God. Please do this in our midst. We love you. We need you. Glorify your name by giving us the promise of the Father. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.